0: For 20% off
1: welcome to the how to hunt turkeys podcast I'm Paul Campbell join me as we dive into the world of turkey hunting every episode we'll explore the minds of the finest turkey hunters around we'll take a look at the people the places the tactics the gear and the culture that creates the mystique around America's favorite bird that's right, I said it. America's favorite bird, the wild turkey. Throw on your turkey vest, grab your box call, let's talk some turkey. <laughs> the How to Hunt Turkeys podcast is brought to you by Go Wild. Visit timetogowild.com or download the app on iOS or Android. Go Wild has all the gear the wild turkey hunter needs camo clothes, hats, vest, turkey calls, decoys, and everything else sign up for a free account today and get $10 off your first order time to go wild.com wicked north gear delivering the very best gear for a life well lived in the great outdoors from field kits and diy tax derby solutions to hats hoodies stickers and more visit wickednorthgear.com welcome back to another episode of the how to hunt turkeys podcast i'm your host Paul Campbell, thank you so much uh, for joining me on this episode again. Listen, if you've if you've been following along with the How to Hunt Turkeys podcast, uh, you know a few things. One, I love hunting wild turkeys. Two, I love talking about wild turkeys. And three, uh, just generally, I like talking. So I'm going to keep this intro as short as possible. A couple of reasons. One, the episode today is one of the best that I've ever recorded. We've got Jay Scott uh, from Jay Scott Outdoors, Jay... Is a a really good turkey hunter. This episode is all about roosting turkeys. So, roosting is the process of finding turkeys that are in the tree or headed back to the tree the night before, and then how to move in to, to hunt those turkeys the following morning. Jay is an absolute master at that. This is a really good uh, conversation with him about that practice. We talk about a, a, a lot about hunting, or excuse me, roosting turkeys out west. I can tell you the, the, the tactics and the principles, this is the principles, that's what's important. You will for sure be able to use those uh, hunting eastern turkeys, whether it be flat ground uh, or, or the mountains uh, that we have here east of the Mississippi. So unbelievable uh, episode. Thank you to, to Jay for reaching out and, and for her, his time uh, on this podcast. So uh, today is March the 13th, 2023, tomorrow morning. I'm headed down to Florida. I'm going to be hunting turkeys Wednesday afternoon. Cannot wait for that. That's going to be uh, just a treat. Really, really looking forward to starting my turkey season off uh, this early. So speaking of turkey season, you've heard me talk about it the last couple of weeks. This is this project is really important to me. TurkeySeason.com is live. There's a ton of really good content up there. There's a ton of knowledge. There's a ton of uh, just different creators that are putting their content on this site. It's really neat. It's Just a, a, a ton of knowledge uh, and just really creative stuff on there right now. I've got a ton of mouth calls, box calls, pod calls for sale. We've got Rolling Thunder game calls, Woodhaven, Bone Collector. we got Wicked North Gear uh, sponsors of the show. We've got Newcomb Hunting Blinds. You can visit Newcomb, N-U-K-E-M, hunting.com. This is a really neat Ground blind, and I hate to I hate to say ground blind because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking of those bulky things that your grandpa used to use. I'm telling you, this is not it. I bought two of these last year. Uh, I I hadn't used a ground blind in a while. I saw this thing work, and it is unbelievable how this thing operates so newcomb hunting n-u-k-e-m hunting.com check those out these things are pretty sweet you're gonna love them i've got those for sale on turkeyseason.com. season.com uh ton of wicked north gear stuff got some uh some really neat hats some turkey season hats i think you guys are gonna like that goat rope so uh sign up for the newsletter you hit the you hit the roost sign up for the roost is what we're calling it hit the fly up button with your email you're gonna get some really neat kind of behind the scenes stuff uh turkey content coming your way so um, if you if you were listening to the show and you buy something from season.com, I want you to find me on Instagram. Find me on Go Wild. Instagram is Paul Campbell three two two. And I want you to say, "Hey man, bought something off your website." The first twenty five people to do that, I've got something really really cool. There's only be twenty five of these made, so there you go. There's a little, little hint, uh, and there will never be another another one made. So, got some neat gifts for the first twenty five people. We've got a couple a couple people already uh, in the mix for that. So. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Good luck to to, to those turkey hunters that are starting. Mississippi starts here real soon. Uh, Alabama starts here real soon. Northern Florida starts. So good luck to everyone. Please keep me posted on your progress of the season. H2HT podcast on Instagram, how to hunt turkeys uh, on Go Wild. Paul Campbell on Go Wild. Paul Campbell 322 on the gram. Or you can just email me. Paul at turkeyseason.com. So, guys, please check out that website. turkeyseason.com means the world to me. Thanks so much for the support. Uh, Enjoy this episode with Jay Scott.
0: it's one of those things that no matter what economic level you're at, you know, wherever you're at in your own personal journey of finances or whatever, we're all just turkey hunters. We love turkeys. You know, you get some of these other conventions where sometimes, you know, it's just a stuffy club a little bit. And I just don't feel that it's like that at NWTF. So it's, um, it's an honor to be able to go there and be a member of NWTF and Um, just be able to, you know, share the hallways with other people. And man, there were legends there too. I mean, you've got, you know, Will Primos and you've got, uh, you know, the night and hail guys, you've got, I I mean, just the who's who um, uh, of, you know, the, the, the mossy oak, the real trees, the, the who's who of the turkey hunting community. And it's just so great to see them uh, supporting the NWTF and supporting all the people that are their fans and, and, uh, so, yeah, but, uh, I'm excited, uh, how to hunt turkeys, um, to be on your podcast. I think it's a great title. Thank um, you. And It, it kind of specifies and kind of, I'm sure you talk about a lot of different stuff, but uh, I love something that's really focused you know on my own podcast uh started back in 2015 i i really tried to dive into the weeds and and i know that's what you like to do as well and you know get get a lot of um experiences from people that you have on and get tactics and and um you know get other people's perspectives which allows all of us to listen uh and and learn and uh so i'm excited to be a part of this
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, I think, and I've said this on the show too, the, I think for me, the best way to that I like to deliver that knowledge that that guys like you have is, is through storytelling. And it's just, it's just conversations about Turkey hunting. And I never know what I want to talk about with the guests and it always like it, and it's neat that the conversations just evolve And I go back and I listen to every one of them and it's, and it's from a selfish standpoint because I know that I missed some like tidbit of knowledge. And, and you know, when, when you reached out, you said, Hey, I want to talk about roosting birds out West. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And it was 100% selfish on my part, Jay, because my first Western hunt is this year in Montana. I, I I was fortunate enough. I went out to Bozeman, Montana this December. I, I was a guest of mountain tough. I went out there, uh, did some work with those guys, went out to Stone Glacier. I mean, loved every minute of it, worked out, did a bunch of videos. It snowed, and it was so cloudy that I couldn't see more than 50 yards from where I was at at any point. So I still, to this day, Jay, don't think that there are any mountains in Montana. Uh, I'm going to find out. But
0: <laughs> oh, I'm, you'll find out quick. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what everyone
1: says. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's it's so – because I've only hunted Easterns, you know, and I'm fortunate this year I'm going to do an Osceola hunt, a lot of Eastern hunts, and then that, that Merriam's hunt. And I watch videos online, and that's that's about my my experience. And I I I just look at myself and like I don't know what to do out there. I have no idea. I mean, you've got like a patch of trees and then like six miles of like grass.
0: I'm like totally lost. I think the good news is you you're cut your teeth on Easterns, and so you're used to you know how temperamental they can be and how much of a challenge they can be. And so I think going out to Montana and hunting Merriam's, you're going to really enjoy the the level of activity that those birds have and the amount of gobbling and and stuff that they do. If you can find some good spots to hunt them, um, you know, where your Easterns can be pretty snooty at times and pretty persnickety. But I feel like the Eastern guys that have, you know, kind of cut their teeth out there on those hard birds come out west and hunt, you know, let's call them a little bit easier bird. I, I just think I've seen so much joy in the guys from the Midwest and the East coming out and really enjoying the West just because, you know, those turkeys don't get messed with quite as much and, and it's a little bit more open country and you can kind of run and gun them and you can see them coming, you know, in from a long distance. Whereas, you know, a lot of your hardwoods and stuff, uh, you know, you've got your fields and you've got your hardwoods. And a lot of times you can't see them coming, um, from very far, you know, maybe, 50, 60 yards out unless you're in a field where, you know, out West sometimes, you know, you can watch them literally strutting in from a couple hundred yards all the way to your set. So, you know, there's lots of things we'll be able to talk about with when it comes to roosting and how far away you can hear them and, you know, best way to strike them. And so, yeah, let me know. We'll dive right in. So we'll just,
1: this has been a good talk. So I think the the episode has already started, but I don't know if my heart and my mind can take watching a turkey and full strut for an hour and a half <laughs> way to me I, I i mean that sounds great but like you said i can't tell you how many turkeys you you interact with and i mean you'll see them for eight seconds and then you pull the trigger you know because they're in brush or they're hills or you know oh man Jay, you don't, know one sent me with
0: that i know one of the big things i taught so i do Gould's turkey hunts in Mexico. And this will be my 13th season doing Gould's turkeys down there. And one of the conversations I have with them is much like when I would be hunting um, Merriams in my home state of Arizona or, or, or around in the West. It's like, these birds are going to act a little bit different than what you're used to. I know where you come from, as soon as you get that, you know, 50 yard or in shot where you've got an open exposed shot at their head or neck, you know, you guys are used to taking your shot when you can. And I try and explain every, every time I get the hunters in the car and we're on the way to the ranch, I try and explain to them like, These birds don't get pressured. These birds are going to act differently. You have plenty of time when they're 50, 60 yards and they're, they're on their way in and they're strutting back and forth and you feel like, oh, I need to take the shot. No, they're, they're going to come in, whether we're using decoys or not, like they're going to close the distance. They're going to be in your lap. Go ahead and enjoy it. You know, every year I have people that will shoot a bird out there at 50 yards as soon as they get a shot you know, their buddies sitting behind with their back to a tree watching. They're like, why did you shoot? We were just about to get the show that, that, that we all are looking for. And so, you know, I would encourage you as well as anybody else that's going to come out West, um, you know, take a little bit more time. Um, we all know there's a time when it's, you know, time to shoot and it's over and you need to, you need to do it, but I would encourage you to, you know, let it unfold and let things happen a little bit. Um, and just enjoy it, enjoy the strutting, enjoy hearing them spit and drum and, and, you know, maybe other birds will come into the set and, you know, you'll get all that interaction. So, um, for sure.
1: So the, the decoys, is that, is that something that, that is, I I guess, more prevalent out West than it is? I mean, because here, so yeah, I I think so.
0: I, I think, uh, our birds are very visual out here, um, you know, hunting a lot of run and gun style, um, you know, kind of open, broken ponderosa pine country, you know, some of that oak uh, vegetation, oak grasslands where they can kind of see a distance. Uh, for me, decoys, and, and I get the, you know, the whole argument on, you know, whether, you, you know, some people like decoys, some people don't, and, and that's their prerogative and, and, and perfectly fine. Um, but for me, what it does is it allows a little bit more time for that bird to come in to see the decoy, to watch the bird display, watch him strut, watch him gobble back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, circle the decoys. Whereas it, it, it's in essence for me, as someone who likes to film birds, I try and film all of our hunts and, um, you know, for me, it just gives more time. And then the bird has something to focus on so that he's not focused on you, you know, trying to get a shot. He's focused on the decoy. And especially with our Goulds turkeys out West, you know, in Mexico, you know, I've got hours and hours of video footage where maybe that bird, if he didn't have a decoy, wouldn't see it. And he'd just keep right on walking by, um, where, if the decoys there, they're going to spend a little bit more time. They're just going to circle. They're going to strut. They may stand 10 yards away and just strut back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But it allows an awesome opportunity. Number one, to take photos and number two, to shoot video, which is, is what I love. I love videoing turkeys. I love hunting turkeys, but videoing them at close range and just really monitoring all of what they do is, is what really gets me going. Um, And, you know, with that, having good encounters, that's where, like I said, I wanted to talk about roosting turkeys out West because I feel like a lot of people that come and hunt with me, you know, we'll, I'll see, you know, we'll we'll harvest over 250 Gould's turkeys this year in Mexico on 50 different ranches and, I'm running into a lot of turkey hunters every year. And and so we get a lot of experiences, but I'm around a lot of people. And one thing that always hits me is a lot of these guys that come hunt that have hunted for 40 years. They truly, really don't understand how to roost a turkey. They don't truly understand the importance of hunting out West and roosting a turkey. And now before I get into it, I, I want to say, like, I understand in the Midwest and, and, and some of the places in the East, like, the roosts are not to be messed with because you have, you know, either small tracts of land or you have neighboring situations where, hey, we're not hunting the roost. We're going to let them fly down. We're going to let them come into the feeding areas, strutting areas, and then we're going to call and hunt them. Totally get that. Where, where out west plays in, you have all these vast tracts of land where you can just hunt in miles in any one direction, and they're not necessarily roosting in the same spot in the same trees. And so it's not like going and roosting them the night before that you're going to interfere with that roost because likely that the next night they're not even, they're going to roost in a totally different tree, a totally different area, another ridge. So. When dealing out West, um, whether you're talking Merriam's, whether you're talking some some Rios, this, this applies to some Rios as well, you know, Gould's turkeys, um, being able to cover lots of country, being able to use your locator calls the night before to try and elicit a gobble, strike a gobble, and then try and use your binoculars to be able to spot which tree the birds are in. How many birds are there? Gobblers, hens, you know, the whole flock, gobblers by themselves, you know, two, three gobblers together and make an assessment of, okay, I've got three gobblers in the tree together. The hens are 80 yards over here in a totally different tree. Then take it to the next level of trying to close the distance without them seeing you. Where am I gonna set up the next morning so that I can be right in the middle of the action? One of the things being a videographer, you know, an amateur videographer th- th- that I love so much about turkeys is I love to roost them the night before and I love to go in in the pitch black dark. People always ask me, why are we getting up at 2:30 in the morning? This is crazy. Like that it's not even getting light till 5:30 or 6. I said, because we need to get in there in the dark and we need to get everything set down. We need to, you know, be quiet and then let the whole morning unfold. My favorite time of turkey hunting is, you know, 30 minutes before the sun comes up and and all through the whole tree, uh, you know, talk and and as the birds are waking up and the hens are waking up and the gobblers are gobbling it, you know, coyotes in the distance and such. That's my favorite part about turkey hunting. Um, and then being able to kind of refine your turkey setup so that your, your, you know, let's call it the roost setup is a dynamic, um, you know, thing that you go through in the morning. And so when we do it on our Goulds turkey hunts and people see how much time I put into like trying to figure out the exact tree that the bird is in, where is that bird going to pitch out? Where is he going to pitch out? So it can be right in front of us. And the whole assembly area where all the hens gather up, I want that to be right, you know, to have us right in the middle of that and be able to witness that. Have birds flying over our head, flying right down, landing almost in our laps. That's to me um, what I feel like is a little bit missing and it uh, from the majority of my hunters. And I think a lot of it is the terrain and the vegetation In the Midwest and in the East, a lot of times doesn't really lend itself to being able to get right on them on the roost. And then like the factor I said of, you know, if you have traditional roost areas that if you bump them off that roost, the birds may leave and you're dealing with smaller tracts of land. I totally get that. But we're talking wide open, you know, for miles, either it's private land and that you are on for miles or public land birds that are just out on the wide open landscape um roosting birds uh is is paramount it's it's everything for having a good uh evening hunt and morning hunt um and you may ask well what about evening hunt well in that time when i'm sitting up under a tree in the morning and i hear the birds that were on but I can see across the valley and I see it getting light and I see another point and there's a stand of trees and there's two or three more gobblers gobbling their brains out there. I make a mental note to that's where they're at. And I mark it on my map and say, that's the spot where if these birds, if I either shoot a bird or whatever happens tonight, I can be right over there and likely those birds are going to be somewhere in that general vicinity. So my mind is constantly running as a turkey hunter and, and, you know, someone that guides turkeys is where, where is the next spot where we can put ourselves right in the middle of them. And because of the nature of our birds out west where they are constantly kind of bouncing around, having those multiple areas where they roost is, is, is super important um, in order to be on birds, you know, morning, night. so I, I years
1: ago i had kind of and this is years ago uh it, it was an epiphany and and you just kind of touched on it um it's where do the turkeys want to be when i first started turkey hunting it was so much just well he's over there so i need to be here and then that turkey's going to go wherever it, it they want to be certain places and that and that's that's a very astute observation and a, and a crucial point for turkey hunters to understand is What you just said—you're always looking for the next setup. Where do those turkeys want to be, and where do I need to be to maximize the potential of a of a a run-in? So, when when you're roosting birds out west, and and I have just this mental picture of being able to see for you know to the end of the world. How and this is a really this is I never hunt out west how far away can you hear a turkey gobbling out west? I mean, are you getting a it's thousand a- yards or if the wind's right? I mean, obviously Yeah, I would say in,
0: in a real open country, um, you can hear them and there. If they're really going good, you can hear them probably a mile out as far away as you could think you could hear them. You know, I've I've never specifically measured, but I'm close to a mile out if it's absolutely dead still and they're just hammering, you know, if there's, especially if there's two or three birds on the roost and they're really going, you can hear them out there, you know, 1600 yards. Um, If the more trees that you have in between you and where the bird's position is, the harder it is to hear. A lot of times too, um, you know, a bunch of the Merriam's birds that I've hunted out West, If, if, if they're across a Canyon from you and on an opposing face, and so they're facing right at you and gobbling, I I can't tell you how many birds that, you know, in the dark in the morning, I didn't have anything roosted, but they, you know, I'm out on a point before light and I'm listening and I hear birds start going and I'm like, oh, they're just, they're just, they're close. They're right here. And you start moving in the dark. Moving, move, and move, and move and move, and you're like, golly, they're right here, they're right here, and you're going and going and going and going, and you realize they're down across a mm-hmm. canyon and they're gobbling straight across at you, and you think they're close, but they're you know three quarters of a mile away, and you're still walking and walking and walking, I've had it where I'm just like you know, I thought the birds were two three hundred yards, but they're facing me, and the, you know there's nothing in between but open air. And then I've had the same thing where you know you have you know dark um, spruce or ponderosa pine and and you know they sound so far away and then boom they're right there because uh, because the pine trees you know they're gobbling and it's absorbing that that sound um, See, so that's one trick that I use my binoculars a lot in the afternoon and if I hear them gobbling either near the roost or if they've already roosted. Then I try and start spotting them and try and go, okay, there's, okay, no, he's gobbled. No, I don't see him. And then, oh, he's over there. And then try, it's kind of something that you'll learn as you hear, you'll be, I can hear birds. I'm like, that bird is facing away or he's facing to my left. Or I'll hear a bird and I'll say, that bird's facing right at us. And guys will be like, how can you tell? Well, I've heard enough of them. I can tell if that rattle, if it's coming right at me or if, it's, if they're facing dead away. Um, But then if you can spot them in the tree, um, that really helps um, once they've roosted. So merriams and goulds typically um, in areas where they don't get tons of pressure, they will gobble themselves to the roost. Um, Sometimes they'll gobble like crazy to the roost, but sometimes they'll gobble two or three, four times. Then they'll fly up into their tree and then once they get in the tree and kind of get settled on their limb, They'll either gobble one time and be done, or they'll sit up there and gobble and gobble and gobble, depending on the cycle of the season and such. Um, but that's when I think it's very crucial, um, the afternoon, the evening before to be up on a place and cover as much country where you can hit those high points, where you can be hearing from a high point where birds might be gobbling. Then once either, if they're still on the ground and they're gobbling, you, um, try and close the distance just with your, you know, get a little closer and try and look and see where they're, I'm not talking about going over and trying to hunt them, but get over there and try and spot them and then get those birds roosted. And then once those birds are roosted and you mark it on your, um, you know, your mapping app, um, go find some more birds. And that's when, you know, I use the coyote howler and I can go through exactly like step-by-step step of how I like to do it. But then I like to come back to camp and be like, I have four different groups of gobblers roosted, or I have two, or I have seven, or I have one. And then some nights it's, I, I didn't roost anything, but my hunting partners or the people I'm guiding with are doing the same thing. And what we're trying to do is establish as many places where those birds um, are roosted, So that if my buddy or one of my guides struck out and doesn't have anything going, I've got birds marked for everybody. So it doesn't matter how far I am from camp. I will work my way back either on foot on UTV or in a truck the whole way back trying to shock birds to at least, you know, if someone in our camp doesn't have birds, Hey, I've got them marked right here. You know, I put some rocks in the road. It's a straight, you know, 200 yards out and, you know, so many times I've come back to camp goose egged, and, you know, my guides will be like, we've got three different birds roosted in three different spots. Fantastic. Or the same thing where, you know, they have nothing going or a couple of my guides, nothing. And I roosted, you know, three different birds. Well, now all three groups have a starting point in the morning. And, and that's what we're all looking for. You're looking... The reason roosting birds is so important is you want to have a starting point in the morning where you can be on birds because a lot of times when you get on birds that are roosted, it leads to other birds that are roosted. You know, it's, it's kind of rare to have, you know, one group of birds roosted here and you go to that spot in the morning and it's, you don't hear anything else. That's rare. It almost seems like from that area, then you hear, oh, there's a group over here down, you know, a quarter mile. There's another bird sounds like a single up here, a half mile, you know, and 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 so it's super important to be on roosted birds.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're everyone wants to be in the game and I yeah. mean, you, there's that's the easiest way to be in the game. The moment you step out of the truck in the morning is to know where a turkey is uh that that morning so let's let's unpack a, a roosting expedition i guess sure and so i let's let's just play pretend here i'm dropping you off in some western state that you've never hunted and you don't know the terrain so let's let's go down to the i mean the very basic stuff of you're on your map go hunt i would assume right Yep, you're, you're on your map. What are you looking for to say, okay, this is where I'm going.
0: This is my so I, first stop. So I love going where you've got long ridge lines that you can either A, drive or B, walk. Um, you know, whether it's driving in your truck, UTV, quad, you know, bicycle, whatever it might be, covering country on long ridge lines. And or where, you know, a lot of times out west, those roads will have old forest roads on them, but they're blocked off and you got to walk them, which is fine. I want to get where I can hear off of both sides. I want to be able to be on a long projected ridge that's, you know, a couple miles long, but that I can go right down the center. And it's actually kind of a steep ridge on the left and on the right. So I have really good either a visual or B audio where I can hear in lots of direction. And if I can find areas where, you know, let's say that it starts at a center center point, like the spoke of a wheel, like kind of a a point of a mountain. And then there's these finger ridges that work off in kind of every direction. I'm going to try and cover at least one or two of those ridges in an afternoon and evening, I might set my hunting partner and have him go the opposite direction. So for me, roosting starts, you know, in the afternoon, typically we're trying to run and gun, you know, two, three, four, five o'clock in the evening on those same ridges, trying to call and project, get any kind of birds to answer off of that. A lot of times I'll sit on a ridgeline like that for 15, 20 minutes. I'll call, listen. If nothing happens, I'll walk down another quarter, half mile, sit, call, And I kind of do this all afternoon with the whole idea of I'm trying to hear a bird or strike a bird. But my ultimate goal is I want to at dark be able to hear and be able to roost birds off of this ridge. So if I'm on foot, you know, I go very slow and just kind of meander around on top of the ridge, sit for a while, call for a while, sit for a while, call for a while. Then there's times when I just sit for an hour because I'm at, let's say where the point goes down and then let's say it comes to a point, but I can hear in a Canyon in front of me, I can hear a bunch of different areas that I think birds will be roosted. And so I just sit and listen and might be an hour. It might be two hours. I might call. I might not call. What I'm trying to do is, oh, I just heard a bird gobble down off in that Canyon. Okay. A lot of times I won't call to him. I won't do anything. He's too far away. I can't get to him anyway. I'm just going to sit and listen. Bird gobbles again. I'm like, okay, there's a bird. Then I look at my map. I'm like, okay, he's, you know, half a mile this way. It's where these two. And I try and mark, okay, bird. And I put the bird icon and I'll either write like herd bird, 4 p.m. gobbled twice. And then as I'm sitting there to my right, boom, I hear a bird gobble way up the canyon. I'm like, okay. If I stay here till dark, there's a really good chance that I'm going to be able to look across because of the steepness of the canyon. Once they get up in the tree, I should be able to, when they're gobbling, actually see their location or see them, you know, first bird flies up and you hear, paw, 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 paw. you can't see them, but you can hear it. You're like, okay, get your binos up and boom, you catch a, you know, a glint of a feather of, of their wings, and it's it's a you know hen flying up, another hen, another hen, and then then get your map out, and you're like, okay, and you mark right there, put the little roost symbol, and then you look, then all of a sudden a bur- gobbler flies up, you know, goes usually they they go up to the top get out on the limb boom he gobbles you're like okay is it a jake is it a mature bird like sound you know did it sound like a jake did it sound like a mature bird you know how many gobbles are there? gobblers are there where are the hens are they all together The, the reason i'm asking that is like oh it's three gobblers they're together i see no other hens there's no hens with them that i can see or the hens i hear are 200 yards down the canyon. I'm processing all this because why? Obviously, gobblers with hens roosted are harder to work than three lone gobblers or a lone gobbler that's two or three hundred yards from their hens. Why do you ask what the difference between that is? Well, if I got hens over here to the left and gobbler or multiple gobblers, I'm going to try and get in between them. Those hens likely in the morning are going to start assembly yelping and calling tree calling, then they'll hit the ground and they'll start usually going to the gobbler. So if I can get between the gobbler and the hens, that's where you're going to be in in the money spot. I'll take that a step further. Let's say that I've sat there, I've projected my calls all afternoon and I haven't heard anything. No turkey sounds at all. That's where it gets a little bit uh, sticky in the fact that I need to get somewhere If I feel like that spot that I just worked for the last two or three hours, if I didn't see sign, I didn't see tracks, I didn't see scratchings. I'm like, man, I didn't hear anything. I need to really quick get up back either to the truck, to the UTV, to my bike, whatever I'm using. I need to get over to another ridge and I need to cover country. Or I like to get in my truck or UTV with my coyote howler. Um, I want to recommend to everyone out there that's going to hunt out west in my opinion you can hear about all the different um locators there is in the west there's not one that beats the coyote howler in my opinion now there's different variations of that there's you know like the i've used for years it's a, I i mean I've, I've got four or five of them but primos came out with it years and years ago it's a, like a three in one it's a woodpecker peacock coyote howler it's purple it's like four inches long and to be honest with you, I can make a much more realistic sound with my diaf- elk diaphragm and sound a lot, lot more like a real coyote. But for whatever reason, that screechy kind of shrill um, coyote howler, the birds gobble to it and and. You know, if guys will say, Well, that doesn't sound exactly like coyote. I said, I know, but they gobble to that better than anything I've ever used. And then people hear me call them my diaphragm and they're like, Jay, you literally sound just like a pack of coyotes. And I go, I know, but they answer that better. So um this this isn't a pitch for primos, but that's one coyote howler that I have used for years. Um, I always have one of them in my pocket, one of them in my vest. They're you know, several in the center console of my truck, because that is one of the most important keys, I think, for trying to strike a bird out West. I haven't, you know, I haven't used it for Osceola's or Easterns or, you know, and, and guys can tell me what they use best but, you know, you hear the owl, you know, the, you know, and I was just at NWTF and there's the owl um, hooting competition and all that. Our Western birds, I'm not saying they won't answer, but they're not going to shock to an owl call. If you're in close and you need them to, if, if you don't want to blow the coyote, because if you blow a coyote to a bird that and you're too close, it will spook them. They will shut up and they, will, or they'll answer, but they're going the other way because they think coyotes under their tree. The coyote call from say 400 yards and out, there's nothing in my opinion that works better than a good, loud coyote call. And it's a simple, <laughs> that's it. And then shut up and immediately listen because they most always will hit it right away. One of the hard parts is I blow the call so hard and it's so loud that a lot of times a bird will gobble by the time I've shut it off and I didn't even hear him gobble. So you have to kind of get to where you can blow it and then shut it off and immediately get your ears where you can hear because they almost always hit it as soon as you finish that last note kind of jumping all over the place here. I just wanted to, there's nothing, there's nothing better in my opinion in the Western U S than a coyote howler. Now in the morning, that's in the evening in the morning, they will hammer a coyote howler. But like I'm saying, if you get close to birds, you have to switch to something else. Sound like a a herd of moo cows. Sound like cow elk, maybe like a spike bugle. Maybe an owl call, maybe a crow. Those are probably your best options. If I'm, if I have nothing going and it's still gray light, it's still dark. You know, it's still pitch black, dark. I'm going to be hammering the coyote howler. That's what I'm going to be using as it's getting gray light. I still got nothing. I'm still using the coyote, still using the coyote because I'm moving I'm moving and calling, moving and calling, moving and calling, just trying to get a bird to strike. Boom, a bird strikes. Now I've got a in. To, let's say it's just gobbled the one time. I then put the coyote call away and I switch to another call. Because if you cl- if you get closer to them as, a coy- as you're projecting like you're a coyote and you're getting closer to their tree, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to shut up. Um, but as far as a strike um the coyote howler nothing beats it um so i think we covered the afternoon ser- scenario i'm trying to walk and look at sign trying to listen and then trying to be at places where i can hear multiple canyons and a great distance that usually puts me up on a point puts me up on a ridge top where i can hear in 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 long distances now, I will tell you that a lot of times our Merriam's turkeys and Gould's turkeys, especially, you know, in Ponderosa pine country, they typically will east on an, or roost on an east-facing ridge. They, they, they want to be facing east. Not saying they won't roost on a west-facing ridge, but they also want contour. So our birds out west will walk up a hill and fly back to the roost they very rarely like i see birds in the midwest or in the east just and go straight Straight up up, i've seen them do it but out west they typically will go up walk past the roost tree and fly back in and if that makes sense picture like picture like uh a sloped ridge You know you've got your slope they're going to walk up and past and then coast into the tree why because they exert very little energy when they pitch and land kind of down and into a tree and then once they get there that tree a lot of times they'll hop up a couple limbs and and you know get get settled in and a lot of times the gobblers like to be on their own limb they don't like to share limbs but they. Depending on the time of season, a lot of times they love to share a tree with the hens, but for whatever reason, they do not like to share the limb with, with the hens, which (laughs) that's a whole nother subject we could talk about. But, um, in the morning, let's say in the evening, you drop me off in a place. I didn't see much sign. Didn't see much scratching. Didn't hear any birds. I'm goose egg. Got nothing. Okay. I'm going to get up. Early, they're depending on. Let's say it gets light at 5:30. I'm gonna be out trolling at 4:30, one hour before it they fly down, and I'm gonna be running ridges in my truck or on foot with my coyote howler. howling, just trying to strike a bird. Strike, 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 strike. Move, 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 move. Drive, drive, till you get a bird to strike. Hopefully you strike a bird, it's gray light, you still have time to get your stuff, you still have time to go and move towards the tree. Once they're gobbling, I am not calling to them. I am letting them gobble on their own. I'm moving up, I'm moving up, I'm moving up, I'm moving up, okay? The reason I do that is just like with elk. Those animals live out there every day. If they keep hearing this noise and it's getting closer to them, 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 they're going to eventually shut up. So I try and strike them, heard a bird gobble this direction. I look at my map. I go, okay, I think I can go down here. And and the whole time I'm hot footing it towards them as quiet as I can. I'm listening for them to sound off and gobble. So many guys that I hunt with love to get 100 yards, call again get them to gobble 100 yards call that is the worst thing you could do it's like hearing elk bugle and bugling every 100 yards as you get closer i would rather try and sneak and get closer to the birds and risk potentially bumping them off the limb than calling my way into them because a lot of times they'll have struck you'll be hot footing it to them and if you really listen They'll gobble four or five, six more times before you even get into their range. So boom, they gobbled, move up a little bit more. Boom, they gobbled, move up a little bit more. Then when you get close to them, you can actually call and they don't feel like whatever that shrill noise that I, the coyote that I gobbled to, that pack of coyotes is not coming to my tree. Does that make sense? Trying to almost trying to almost um, <clears throat> surprise them, shock them, you shock them to gobble, but then you close in the distance like a predator, like I mean, you're trying to kill them. And then let's say you get in close and it's just quiet, and you're like, "I know I'm close and they're not gobbling. I'm going, "Well, geez, did they see me? Did they hear me? Likely no, but that's what we tend to think. So a lot of times if I'm like, I don't want to go any further because I don't want to bump them. I'm just going to sit here, put my back to a tree, and I'm going to make my set right here. And then you just sit there and listen. I mean, you're fighting the urge to get every call you have out. <laughs> no, let them, let them do their thing. Okay, boom. They just gobbled. They're only 100 yards away. I'd like to be a little closer, but okay, I'm. this is it. I'm going to make my stand here. And that's when you go, okay. You know, do I hear hens? Do I hear a gobbler? Do I hear multiple gobblers, multiple hens? And then that's when you then play your situation of, of your calling strategy into that.
1: So how, and and, and I, I know the answer to this, but how close do you want to be to a turkey that you've roosted, that, that you've struck up with a coyote howler? How, I mean, are you taking what the train gives you or are you really kind of like you want to, push the envelope especially if it's still dark out i mean are you are you aggressive in that sense or are you just kind of calm and let's get close
0: i'm really calm but what i use is the benefit of time to my side and that's why i get up so stinking early and that's why i don't use a light i stumble around in the woods but i'm there so early they think it's an elk they think it's a deer a bear a cow you know cow elk bull elk whatever it may be they're like there's something just stumbling around over there, but they hear that. If you think about their whole life, you know, four or five years, however long a turkey in the West lives, they hear that stuff all night long. That stuff doesn't necessarily scare them. Um, I want to get as close as I possibly can, as long as I don't get so close, they're going to fly over my head. So, It depends where they roosted? How steep is it where they are? Where do I think they're going to pitch down? Because let's take that slope again. Mm. They've walked up the slope and they've flown across to their roost. Well, are they going to fly? What's the easiest way for them to get out of the roost? Pitch kind of gently down to a flat spot. So the night before when I'm roosting them, I'm trying to look at where... Where did they come from? They came from my side of the hill. They walked down the canyon, up the other side, walked up the other side of the canyon, pitched down in the tree. There's something over here that they probably are going to come back to. Is there water in the bottom? What is it? Is there a bench over there that they can easily just pitch right out? Because, you know, I've seen them up on the side of a hill and literally pitch down, you know, three, four hundred yards. just. like a 747 and land on the other side of the hill, like fly over my head, 200 yards. And I'm like, well, that, that didn't work. But I do notice that on those slopes, they tend to find those little benches where it's a flat spot where they can just literally pitch 20 feet, 20, 20 yards, 10 to 20 yards straight out of their tree, right to a flat spot. And a lot of times the hens will come to that flat spot, mill around the gobbler will stay in the tree. Then he'll fly down to them. So, Part of roosting the bird the night before is I'm always asking myself, where do I see these birds flying down to? Where do I want to set up so that I'm in that area where they pitch down and they're still in front of me? The worst thing that can happen is they go right over your head. Why is that the worst? Well, because you're facing the wrong way. They've pitched over your head now they have to come all the way back and around in front of you or you'll have to pivot total 180 and now you're facing the other direction so the the question was how close do you like to get i like to get about 100 yards if i can i like to get about 75 yards if i can if i get more than say 50 yards that's when it's the setup it's got to be perfect and again, if it's a flat, then I can get closer to them, 50 yards. If it's a slope, I want to make sure they don't pitch right over my head.
1: So that, and that, and that goes back to knowing where they want to be, not necessarily where I want to be is, is a turkey hunter. So what, when, when you, and, and you touched on it a little bit, but I I want to hammer that point because that is a very important point. Um, because man, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've roosted a turkey and I watch them just sail right over my head. I'm like, oh man, all that
0: work is done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, you got up two hours before everyone else did and you worked your way in and they flew over your head. I will, I will tell you that experience has taught me that sometimes as bad as you want to get right in there, in their kitchen and be right there for when they fly down and all of that sometimes. Because of the terrain, it's one of those deals where I don't know exactly where they're going to pitch down. So I'm going to get over there pretty close to them. I'm not going to make a peep. And I'm going to let them do their whole morning thing. Hens calling, the hens landing, assembly yelping. Gobbler flies down to them. And I'm not even in striking, you know, shooting range. And then what is their next move? Okay, they're moving to the left. They're moving to the right. They're moving towards me or away from me. Okay, now they're moving left. I'm going to circle back. I'm going to get around in front of them. I'm going to make my stand here. If it's not to visually to my eye where I feel like I can go get right in between those two groups, get set up, and likely one of two of those gobblers is going to come, i I um, take the approach of like, I'm going to get close to them. I'm not going to call to them. I'm going to see what they do. Once I get a direction, then I'll make a plan. And I think that's where a lot of guys, they make a mistake. They get impatient. They get over there. They know the setup isn't right, but they start, you know, calling and doing their whole thing. And a lot of times those hens will be like, I don't know who that is over there, but she's not part of our flock. And I don't, I want to go the other way. I would rather let them have the gobbler fly down. He immediately goes into strut. They start working one direction. I go, okay, now they've picked their direction. So I'm not changing anything that they're doing. Now, I'm going to take my approach because I can still hear the hens. I can hear him gobble every once in a while. I'm going to go out and around them, get in front of them and set up because now they've picked their direction they're going, right? I'm not changing anything that they're doing. I'm now in their path. Then, when all of a sudden, nope, 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 then the hen's like, oh, there's a hen up here. Not like, Who's that hen back there? She's not part of our group. It's a totally yeah. different mindset.
1: Yeah, and I was I was going to point out that I mean that's the first time that you've talked about sounding like a turkey. Call, turkey calling is when you've done all of these things. You've moved, you've you've set up, you've picked a good spot, you've gotten in front of them, use the terrain, use what you have got to work with and then you and then you turkey call. That's I mean that that I mean I'm guilty of that. They they take off and you're like, "Oh crap, you start calling." And that, I mean, that rarely, rarely works. Yeah, I think they, that's the woodsmanship that you that can a lot very of people rarely could.
0: turn the whole group around. Yeah. Um, it's same with elk. I find that if you're in their path in the direction that they are going and the direction they want to be, um, you're a lot more apt to have them want to come over and see who you are and inspect you. And you're not a threat. If they're going the other way, I do not call at them. I let them go. Because yeah. it's human nature if you walked into a group of people and you were loud and obnoxious and they started to move away from you and you started going, hey, where are you guys going? Well, if the same group of people was kind of meandering this way and you got out in front of them and you said, hey, guys, what's your name? I'm Jay. They're going to be like, oh, they're hey, not going to be. Yeah, they're going to they're be more apt to say, hey, bud, what's up? They're not going to be like, who's this guy? same yeah. thing with turkeys.
1: Yeah. you know, Everyone, the, a common saying in turkey hunting is patience kills turkeys. I think the virtue that every turkey hunter needs to have more so than patience uh, is, is discipline. And that is, it, that's what you're talking about is discipline. And that is hard to do.
0: And I, I think discipline goes right into roosting birds. I see so many people they're back at camp and it's still light and you get back in there. It's gray light and they're back at camp and I'm going. What are you doing? Like, well, I didn't hear anything. Well, did you roost any birds? I didn't even try. And you go, well, where are you going to go in the morning? Oh, I don't know. I'm just going to strike out and try and go somewhere. So for me, it's being disciplined to even if I've killed a bird, but I know other people in my camp haven't. You know, let's say I killed a bird in the afternoon. I'm going to stay and I'm going to roost. You can every spring, if I'm in the woods, I am roosting turkeys, whether I've killed A bird or not so that i can be like hey buddy you didn't hear anything i got two different birds roosted i like this spot better this spot there's there there are two birds there but it's not a great setup go try this one um and i feel like if guys would put as much um time into roosting birds i think their success will go up a lot and uh, you know of course there's different states where you can only hunt till this time or that time i'm not saying do anything that's not within the state regulations but there's nothing wrong with not having a shotgun if let's say it stops at one o'clock or four o'clock or whatever it stops at you can still be out there listening and roosting birds for the next morning that that's not against the law um, you know, I'm fortunate in the state of Arizona or where we guide for Goulds in Mexico, you can hunt all day and there's, you know, you can shoot a bird in the morning or in the evening. There's no, um, there's no shutoff time.
1: And, yeah, I think that uh, we've been talking, obviously, uh, a lot of these scenarios have been out West and, and, uh, but uh, these principles work in Tennessee, they work in Alabama, they work in upstate New York they work in southeastern ohio where i do a, m- a majority of my hunting it's very it's very similar um you know, you find the ridges you find the high spots and i think where difference in the east um is that set up the next morning i think that's that's where it's a little different you mean you, you're going to set up
0: closer or not, not I, as close as you can't get close
1: i think that i think with like and i'm just going to use where where i hunt benton county ohio i mean it's, it's it's our largest public access uh here here in the state of ohio if i've got one turkey or a couple of turkeys that are gobbling and i've got some hens there my my ability to get close to them i, I think is a little harder just because of the terrain so you've got you've well in the vegetation it's
0: laying on the ground as well the yes. leaves are so loud like Abs- unless absolutely you're, unless you know exactly which tree they're in maybe you could go in the pitch black dark, but I mean, in gray light, you're, there's no way you're going to walk up on those turkeys,
1: man. They would, they would pick you off. And and that's, and and so it's funny, I, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm kind of visualizing areas in Vinton County. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this approach. It's way different than, than what I've done before. And, and it's interesting. And I definitely want to try the coyote
0: howler. I'm I'm well, I, I'm going to yeah. try that here in a while. There's one thing I, I wanted to add real quickly, and you'll yeah. have to check your state regulations, whether it's a, allowed or not, but it's something we use that's super deadly. On a roost situation the night before, when let's say that we're on one of those big long ridges or, or or you know, we're, we hear a bird gobble, but he's a long ways off. Let's say three quarters of a mile to a mile. And it's like, I don't know, he's that way. And let's say you you have a buddy. A lot of times we'll carry little walkie talkies in our pack. Cause if we spread out, I'll be like, Hey, where are you at? I'm going back to the truck or whatever. I shot a bird. I need help or what, you know, for safety, it's always nice to have a walkie talkie sometimes in those situations, like the bird is way off. And let's say the truck's way back here and you and your buddy are together. You say, all right, you stay here where you can hear. I'm going to beeline it towards that bird I'm not going to make any noise at all I'm going to get as close to that bird as I possibly can when I call you on the radio and say hey shock him again hit him again so now I beeline it towards that bird he's up on the ridge listening for that bird and other birds and then I get way close over there and I go I think I'm close to him hit him again and he howls I'm still a long ways away. Okay. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Now I'm trying to let my buddy shock the bird. I'm not making a peep. I'm trying to locate the bird. You can do that. And in states where you say you can't use a radio, another thing that you can do is like, let's set our watches. I'm going to go and try and get as close to that bird as I possibly can, depending on how far it is set a time and say, In seven minutes, I will be standing waiting for you to shock them. You shock them at seven minutes, you get two more minutes, and you shock them at nine minutes. Because what that allows me is to get over there, get close enough. Okay, I know exactly 6.58, 6.59, boom, the shock's coming. You know, okay, I need to refine this and get a little closer. I got two minutes. I'm going to get as close as I can in the two minutes. I know the call's coming. Boom. You're right there. You got them marked. You so many times I've snuck out of there in the dark. And My buddy's like, you got them. I'm like, I got them, buddy. We got them. And And that's a great way. And you can use it anywhere, but out West to tag team birds, to get them roosted, where you can really pinpoint the, the exact area where they're at.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's planning and execution on a level that, uh. I'm going to force my friends to do that this year. They're going to, <laughs> they're going to hate, they're going to hate, going to hate this year. So Jay, this has been, this has been a, a phenomenal interview. We've been on this for an hour. It doesn't even feel like that. This has gone quick. So just do me one, one more thing. Tell me yep. and the listeners about Gould's turkey hunt.com.
0: Yep. So um, this will be my 13th season operating Gould's turkey hunt. Um, we hunt in Sonora and Chihuahua, Mexico, this January was my 27th year doing coos deer hunts. A lot of these ranches are the same ranches. We hunt coos and Gould's turkey on, have a lot of Mexico experience. Uh, this will be my 13th season doing the Gould's turkey hunt. Uh, we, we have two States that we hunt in Sonora, Mexico. Our hunters fly into Tucson, Arizona, uh, come meet the guides, cross the border, go to the ranches. All the ranches are private. Uh, the other option is Chihuahua, Mexico, the hunters fly American Airlines through Dallas, Fort Worth into Chihuahua City. The air, airport code is CUU. Fly right into Chihuahua City. We pick you up right there and take you to the ranches. Have over 50 ranches leased. We'll kill, scheduled to kill 250 Gould's turkeys on over 50 ranches this year. Um, run a real professional, uh, great operation. We have great hunters that return, a lot of returning people. A lot of people that are looking to, to, you know, get their Royal Slam or World Slam. um, And you can hunt multiple birds. So you can, you you know, usually guys shoot one or two birds. You can actually do more than that. Um, The hunt structures are basically set up on a three and a half day hunt structure. And then we bring you back to the airport. Uh, We've got all the transportation, the lodging, the food, um, the tags. Uh, The guide, skin, and prepare all of the birds for you for export, um, import back into the U.S., export out of Mexico, import into the U.S., handle all the paperwork, um, the USDA paperwork, everything. But the Gould's turkey is an amazing bird. Um, They actually have one more primary tail uh, uh, feather in their fan than the other birds. They have 20 um, uh, primary tail feathers. Uh, the, the white band, um, is much like the Merriam's, but the band itself is probably two and a half more inches long. So it's about a three inch band, really white. Um, they've got a lot of white, uh, they're, they're a tall Turkey. They Most of our birds weigh between 20 and 22 pounds. Um, they're very big footed, um, and, and very tall, um, compared everyone comes and says how tall they are and how, you know, big, especially when they're full strut. Mm. Um, the birds don't get, I don't want to say they're easy turkeys, but they spoil me, uh, like crazy, you know, uh, they gobble and strut and they act like a turkey should. Um, these Goulds very rarely have a bad day. And a lot of that is just because they don't get any pressure. Um, I feel like our birds in the U S if they weren't pressured as much, they would probably act a lot like these Goulds, but with their defense mechanisms, you know, either not gobbling, you know, being so completely smart and wary just because they get human interaction. Um, it's a real joy to be able to take people. I've, I can't tell you how many people that have said, you know, Jay, I've hunted 40, 50 years. These are 60, 70, even 80 year old guys. That literally are at the brink of tears and they say jay i've never seen anything like this i've turkey hunted my whole life and i've never seen birds act react gobble strut fight i mean it's Mm. it's unbelievable so for me i just feel completely blessed to even be able to take people and show them the gould's turkey but um it's something that's you know burrowed its way into my heart and i have a extreme passion for turkey hunting but especially gould's turkey hunting
1: yeah that's that's great and you know what if you if you shoot a gould's get a hold of me i've got nwtf pins gould's pins sitting on my uh, sitting on my desk right now so Absolutely. i'll help you i'll help you work through that so I, I actually was able to award one of my uh one of my donors and members uh, from tennessee got a gould's turkey last year so very very it's uh, one of the
0: biggest joys of my life is being able to help people get their gould's turkey and complete their royal slam their world slam um and if they're just a spectacular bird it's one of those things i can't really even put into words i try and do it through the videos um that i do with trying to capture how beautiful they are um but you know what I witness every year for the last twelve seasons down there is is almost I can't even put it into words how how much mm-hmm. interaction and gobbling and strutting and just uh, you know the sheer chaos. So it's it uh, spoils me for sure. Yeah,
1: Jay, where can people find you on
0: social media? So Jay Scott Outdoors uh, on Instagram, uh, Gould's Turkey Hunt on Instagram. Um, I also have a podcast I started in February of 2015. I have close to 850 episodes and we talk elk, we talk deer, turkey, pretty much everything for the Western hunter. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Jay Scott outdoors on Facebook, uh, Gould's Turkey hunt on Facebook. Um, you know, I've got over probably 300 videos on Gould's Turkey hunting on YouTube. Just type in Jay Scott Gould's Turkey hunting and, um, you know, it's just a library of, of hunts and strutting and gobbling of Gould's Turkey. So, I'm so glad that, uh, we were able to connect and hopefully, uh, some of this information that I was sharing guys get out there and roost those turkeys. It's super important and, uh, um, anyone can reach out at any time. Jay, thank you so much for your time. You bet, bud. God bless. Okay. Same to you.